It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Pete Hexeth will be joining me at some point today. And we'll be taking your calls at 1-866-408-7669. A lot to discuss. We know the President of the United States is going to be knocking on our door uh, pretty soon. He's going to be meeting with the mayor of Chicago. Why? Because the gang violence and other shootings are so out of control in Chicago, he thought he'd bring her in. Remember, this is the same Mayor Lightfoot who was asked by a friendly reporter, do you think all the criticism you're under is because you're black and a woman? Yes, exactly. And everyone's dying at a record rate and you don't seem to care. Can we add that in? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Associated Press projects Eric Adams as the winner of the Democratic primary in the race for New York City mayor. The former police captain will likely be on the ballot in November. And since about two-thirds of the city's eligible voters are registered as Democrats, Adams is expected to win and be the next mayor of New York. Let's see. 22-year NYPD officer Eric Adams takes the Democratic nomination with the closest thing the left has to a law and order message in New York City. What does that mean about how Americans are feeling about their safety and security and what should it say about 2022? Number two. Now we need to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oftentimes door to door, literally knocking on doors to get help to the remaining people protected from the virus. Are you nuts knocking on doors? Yeah, that's what President Biden plans on doing to make sure you're vaccinated. It's not okay with me, especially now as they refuse to admit if you had the virus already, you don't even need the shot to protect against the virus, right? Number one. Mark my words. Our union will defend any member who gets in trouble for teaching honest history. We have a legal defense fund ready to go. And we were preparing for litigation as we speak. Let's hear it. Critical race pushback. Teachers unions dig in to keep CRT uh, away from the K-12 curriculum. They want the unions want it in. Why this might be the most important fight in America today and why we must kill kids CRT for good. I'm not saying not teaching history. Get the difference. Understand the difference. Nobody's saying that uh, we don't have a civil war for a reason to free the slaves. No one's saying we didn't have a slavery issue, that Jim Crow didn't happen, that Reconstruction didn't fail, that the black codes existed. Nobody's saying that we didn't need a civil rights revolution in 1960. Nobody's saying that. We're saying that's called history. What they're trying to do now is having white people who are 8, 9, 10, 11, 17 years old, let alone the college kids, apologize for being white and male. Or other races apologize for what happened generations prior that has nothing to do with the color of somebody's skin. But that is so bizarre because they will not admit these teachers unions that they're looking to teach CRT. For example, cut one, Randy Weingarten, an embarrassment to this country. She's AFT president. On Fox and Friends, Pete Hegseth mocked our safety concerns, saying that we're rigging it so teachers don't have to go to work. As if teaching remotely isn't and wasn't incredibly hard work. I've been the target of a lot of these right-wing disinformation campaigns. 
but it comes with the territory. Right. Uh, you've been the target. Pete will be on in about 15 minutes to talk about that. And you know why the target? Because you deserve to be the target. Because you kept those schools closed. You kept those kids, in ho- kids at home in front of laptops. Maybe they had to borrow or didn't have, period. They didn't show up. They didn't learn a thing. And teachers stayed away in the most va- in the places where they were needed the most. Let's add to that. That you actually infiltrated the CDC and used your political leverage because the Democrats are in bed with the teachers' unions and made sure the CDC knew exactly where you stood with teachers being vaccinated, unvaccinated, going back to school. And how we know that is because we saw the emails. And we saw the emails where it was cut and pasted into CDC guidelines on your recommendation. Where is your medical degree? And when your teachers got vaccinated, they still stayed out of the schools. You used your leverage for that. You hurt, and these teachers unions hurt, more kids for a longer period of time than anyone else through this pandemic. Because kids were not are not living in fear of the virus. The, the numbers are infinitesimal for those who have been damaged or affected uh, by the virus. And once the teachers got vaccinated, you lost your last le- uh, you lost all your leverage to keep them out of school. So critical race theory, they're going to fight for it, but they also go out of their way to say we're not teaching it. Try to make sense of this. Critical race theory is not taught in elementary schools or middle schools or high schools. It's a method of examination taught in law school and in college that helps analyze whether systemic racism exists, and in particular, whether it has an effect on law and public policy. Okay, that is not true. It is being taught. We have these anecdotes coming for, coming forward. Parents groups have been formed to stop it, and when they speak up about it, they're often their kids are kicked out. We just saw that uh, taking place. Uh, meanwhile, in terms of critical race theory, uh, it provides an already created in-depth study that critiques the uh, empire, white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti-ingenuity, uh, ingenuity, racism, patriarchy, you know, men and race, white men and race, the worst. Uh, they actually vilify capitalism, uh, and it goes on from there. They actually are endorsing the 1619 Project in various curriculums around the country in public schools. How dare you say this is not taking place? Pete Hegseth just walked in, uh, fresh off Stuart Varney and fresh off Fox and Friends. Pete, we played the clip where Randy Weingarten uh, came out and called you out and Fox and Friends out. Mm -hmm. And then I just played the clip that we also heard this morning of her saying it's not being taught in schools. That's a flat-out lie. It's a flat-out lie. They dress it up by calling it something different. It's usually diversity, equity, and inclusion, equity being the key word. Equal outcomes, which uh, which has manifested in many different ways, or anti-racism, which sounds great because we're all against racism, but it all is trickle down of critical race theory, which has been taught in higher education for a long time. But unions have used it as a vessel to push left-wing ideology into younger and younger grades. Our channel's done a good job of sharing language in textbooks, kindergarten. Third grade, fourth grade, talking about how white kids are a certain way and black kids are another way. I thought we fought an entire civil war to get away from that type of thinking. The reality is, with Martin Luther King, we were close. As he was pushing the idea that you judge by the content of your character, that was not good enough. The left wants to divide us on race, and they're using this to do so. More from uh, Randy Wargarten, who, by the way, was so nervous giving this presentation. (laughs) She was licking her lips like some kid who didn't prepare for an oral report in front of Are there students? Cut six. Years ago, our country unified against Holocaust deniers. 
we must unite again to address racism and its long-term effects. Whoa, because we're not for critical race theory. That's equivalent to Holocaust deniers. Yep. That's where we're at. That's what the left does, of course. They deny and counter-accuse. So they deny they're doing exactly what they're doing. But yesterday on the show, we played the clip from the National Education Association, which is saying we're teaching critical race theory. It's a part of where we're going as a country. And even Randy Whitegarden admitted it when she said we've got a defense fund for teachers who are teaching, what did, what did she call it, correct history or honest history was her word. We're teaching honest history, which is capitalism evil, White people evil, America evil, and, and as a result, they turn around and say, we're the problem. I, I feel this way. It's so encouraging, Brian, to see parents stand up in the school board. It Absolutely. really is. It is. But I feel like those parents are, for the most part, charging at a fortified machine gun nest with pitchforks, that the institution of our education with the unions and the teachers' colleges uh, is so fortified, this stuff isn't going away even if we fight it. Right. right now. I, I also know this uh, Howard Zinn Fund. The Zinn Fund is providing a lot of the finances to keep critical race theory alive in schools that's not supposed to be there, uh, that they claim isn't. Howard Zinn it wrote the most popular, well, one of the most anti American books uh, ever written. He was kicked out of Spelman College for basically teaching anti Americanism, mm-hmm. and they said, we got to kick this guy out. Then he formed his own group at a best selling book, and thankfully he's dead a few years ago. But he has done more damage to this country and more curriculums uh, are now including some of his teachings than pretty much anyone I know outside this new author with white fragility. Yep. Something else that is really a shot to the soul. White fragility and how to be an anti-racist, by the way, the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist is speaking today at Randy Whitegarden's virtual conference. So they say it's not there and then it's right there. Howard Zinn wrote the U.S. history from the Soviet Union's perspective. It's the most anti-American textbook you can imagine. And what schools will do, they'll say, no, we don't have a people's history in our classroom. No, maybe you don't, but what you've done is you've taken all the ideas from it and put it into the textbooks. So it's still being taught, just not under Howard Zinn's name. And the organization you talked about, the Zinn Education Project, they're now, they've got 5,000 teachers signing on in states that are banning critical race theory to say, even if it's banned, we're still going to teach it. Yeah, so uh, coming up on October 14th, if you want to get your calendar out, I'll, okay. I'll pause. I'll tell my uh, phone. Black Lives Matter will join with the Zinn Education Project to call for a rally uh, this year on George Floyd's birthday. It's a national day of action to teach lessons about structural racism and oppression. So you can put that in your October book. 14th? Yeah, you might as well take a sick day or it could technically be uh, a working day. It might. I might be in Israel for the next installment of, of uh, that what, series. What a shame. Uh, so I might miss it. Right. And maybe you could put it off Israel. <laughs> Don't underestimate what the left will do. to. I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, that'll become a new cultural rallying cry that anyone who doesn't buy into it is racist because, oh, by the way, Diversity, equity, and inclusion. What inclusion means is not tolerance. It doesn't mean we can take different ideas. It means, no, you can't just tolerate it. You need to celebrate it. And if you aren't celebrating it, you're a bigot or a racist. They will use that date. Watch what the unions do with that day. All right. uh, Pete's going to stick around. We'll also take some calls, 1-866-408-7669. We're also going to talk when we get back about Joe Biden knocking on your doors with a vaccine. And also the downside that no one's talking about is if you have it already, when are we going to start demanding to see results for those who have it? Maybe the shot is causing undue pain and stress on your system because you're shooting antibodies into a body that already has the antibodies. Don't move. 
a radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show hey uh, i was uh, required to get the uh, vaccine for for schools i never thought anything of it you know I, everything is low risk everybody said it's fine and then a week later uh, i came home and he started uh telling me that his heart was hurting him next thing i know next day my i get a call it's like uh this bad news he needs to go to the hospital his his troponin levels were off the chart uh what they told me it was almost like 40 he had like 9,000. he's had a heart condition uh and he can't you know he can't do all the things he loves to do he can't hang out with his friends and do uh, you know things that 17 year olds do and the biggest part he can't play soccer in the fall which broke his heart and my heart so that was uh, Fabio uh, Bellingeri. I knew him. I, I know him pretty well. He played soccer in college with my brother. And when we started talking about all this, Pete Hegseth, uh, they all his teammates started writing me, including my brother, and said, "Do you know that what happened to Fabio's son? The seventeen-year-old graduating from high school, surfer, everything. He's going to play college soccer, and he got the shot because he got a notice because the team is going to have to get it. And he went and, like got his two sons shots, and this son got swelling." Uh, Swelling of the heart, hmm. he says, it hurts every time my heart beats. I mean, think about that. When you did that interview on Fox and Friends, it was you could see the devastation on the father's face. You can't uh, hold it against. He said, hey, I want my kid to play. I don't know how or why they're able to mandate this emergency use vaccine for people to play. I mean, that in and of itself is wrong. But second of all, pres- presumably a healthy kid playing soccer out there, not of threat from the virus, yep. uh, and ultimately – it calls into question big time why we are pushing that so quickly to such young ages when we don't understand the effects of it. And you've made the point so well. If we already have the antibodies, why are we ejecting more antibodies? And why are we not considering antibody as the gold standard anyway? Well, Pete, because we don't have doctors analyzing this. We have doctors analyzing every variant, what happened, what, you know, what the hospital size, how many people are hospitalized, how many people are hospitalized, how many people have it. Okay, fine. Stats. How it spread, how many weeks you have to quarantine, fine. 
Why isn't there equal curiosity on why some people get the shot and have no reaction, mm-hmm. like me? I got the second shot, no reaction. Other people are, are out for a couple of days. It's like they got it. Yep. So I'm thinking to myself, what would your doctor say? Well, no one asks. You, it just, you're going to have different reactions depending on who it is. Well, why aren't you curious about that? Why aren't people more curious about why people go get hospitalized and others get it never even doesn't sink in? People have rumors about O positive blood. Yep. So why don't we have antibody tests as accessible as COVID-19 tests? It's a great question. And why doesn't natural immunity ever get factored in? So Joe Biden's running around talking about door-to-door vaccinations, uh, we reported this morning, because he didn't hit a certain percentage when if you actually add in, as you know, Dr. Marty McCary and others have made the point, natural immunity from having COVID, we're probably closer to 80, 85 percent, right. which is what you need to be for herd immunity. So if and uh, Ainsley brought this up and I've, I've said it before and she probably I'm, stole it from you and she will never admit to stealing it. <laughs> but if you want to bring these people to get, you know, people together, how many times people come up to you at a barbecue hanging out? How do you bring the country together? OK, little things. Say, you know, thankfully to the previous administration for the progress of warp speed that was putting mm-hmm. shots in arms at a million a day. We were able to pick up on that. I'm very proud of this. We were able to fan out, put the systems together, thanks to Jeff Zeitz. And we were able to put it, okay, right away. Let all those Republicans that are so disappointed that Donald Trump lost. Well, he has a lot to do with the shot. He gave us his shot. So uh, why am I hesitant that Joe Biden's not giving me the shot? Donald Trump's shot. He admitted, but instead, he doesn't acknowledge. It hurts his own cause. And do we not remember that uh, Kamala Harris and Governor Cuomo have both said, I don't know if I'll get the shot if Donald Trump's administration came up with it? Well, guess what? These are the shots they came up with. Mm-hmm. How detrimental is that? No one ever brings that up. I I think it's a fantastic point. It should be a layup. Nothing is a layup when it comes to Trump because everything has to be rejected when it comes to the left. And I... It's it's scary how quickly revisionist history really can take hold. It's why you're doing what you do with the books you write and, and all the documentaries you do on Fox Nation. Someone telling a different story today can blind an entire generation to the truth of what actually happened, which is a chief executive who knew from the beginning that a vaccine was the only way out, told the technocrats and the bureaucrats like Fauci who said, well, it's going to be three to five years. It can be done faster, right. and it did. And they're getting, but but here's the the political thing. We played some sound on it this morning. They know COVID's about the only thing the Biden administration is getting positive marks for. And so, if you give credit to Trump for the one thing you're doing right, uh, that doesn't help you. And this is a very political way. And when when Trump said in his speech last week, he, the the Biden should have went to the beach. When it came to the border, if he went yep. to the beach, when it came to the border, he said he would have said the things are under control. The pandemic is the reason we have Title 42. Yep. I'm going to do another a more humanitarian approach to the border. But for now, uh, for now, I think this is best, really, because there were 1700 positive cases in border facilities in Texas of COVID-19. How is that in our interest? We have a slight tick up in Wisconsin because of some ridiculous Delta variant. And that's big news. Right? Yep. we got to go get somebody in a lab coat to go on CNN and blow off commercials in order to say these selfish Republicans have to get a shot. But the 1,700 strangers, illegal immigrants, mm-hmm. we're okay with. The fear industrial complex must be fed. Uh, and you've seen the ratings on those other channels. Uh, without Donald Terrible. Trump, they're in the trash Without can. January 6th, they would have nothing but a test pattern. They have absolutely nothing, so they run with the COVID numbers and, and, and push hysteria as much as they can. Uh, not working. 
All right, uh, and you know why Pete said not working? Because he hears the music, he knows it's going to get louder, we're going to go to a heartbreak. I, I've been trained to rap really well, especially <laughs> Thank you. when hosting with Brian Kilby. Thank you very much. Pete Hexeth, who actually outdressed me for the first time in radio history, I've been outdressed. Uh, back in a moment, yes. Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. A specific conversation and coordination about the turnover of Buckram, uh, the, the final conversations occurred about 48 hours prior. Obviously, for operational security reasons, we didn't go into the exact hour at which uh, all U.S. forces would, would leave Bagram. Again, as I said from the outset, we have had to operate under the assumption that this uh, drawdown could be contested at any time. And so we're very careful about uh, what we say and how, how much detail we provide out there. So that was uh, Admiral Kirby, who's in the unfortunate position to try to explain why they did not brief the Afghan military or the Afghan people on that we're leaving Bagram Airport, which we put billions of dollars, I think $88 billion to build up. We're just leaving. So therefore, it was unprotected, and it got ransacked and looted. They said, well, they would not give a heads up because somebody in the Afghan army would give a, give a heads up to the Taliban. How pathetic is that? I don't necessarily blame them. I blame maybe the Afghan culture, but they have not taken enough pride in their own country to say that we got we got to go ahead and take this Bagram Air Base as our own that the U.S. has built up and handed over to us for free. Instead, I see video of Chet, of of the Afghan forces smiling, handing over their equipment to the Taliban. By the way, they're in full camouflage. The Afghan military they look very sophisticated. The Taliban are in. Local, you know, civilian outfits, and they're giving up instead of fighting, and they walk over to Tajikistan. And now they're putting troops on every border because they expect the Afghans to run for the hills because they're scared to death of the Taliban. Please tell me there's a better way to leave Afghanistan. You might not want to be there forever, but we weren't in a hot war. By the way, they're supposed to be negotiating with the sitting Afghan government about some type of elections or uh, or some type of coalition governing pact. All they're doing is taking province after province as we leave irresponsibly, just like Joe Biden has been known to do. It is a tragedy what's happening right now uh, with Afghanistan. And I think that uh, in particular, you see yesterday the Taliban taking hold uh, bolstered by the exit uh, that they're seeing now. Russian's uh, President Vladimir Putin could interfere with Biden's plans because we want a base in one of the stands over there, Chizikistan, Kyrgyzstan, but they're really taking orders still from the Russians to a degree. So for a while they're allowing that because by us attacking and containing al-Qaeda and ISIS, it was helping Russia and China. They don't see it that way now. So NATO is getting out of there. We're getting out of there, and the Afghans are saying, we helped you 10,000 strong. Let us leave, or we're all going to be beheaded. How ridiculous is this? How embarrassing is this? Story in the New York Times today from Vietnamese, uh, South Vietnamese, who said they were left behind, too. At the very last minute, they got an out there in America because they helped us out during the Vietnam War. It's a little bit more complicated there. But this is what I was saying yesterday. This is this is Vietnam revisited. This is Saigon, too. That's because we put no effort at all 
into coming out with an exit plan that it's worthy of the American people. Here's Bill Bennett. He was there during the Reagan and Bush years. Cut 36. I'll be bipartisan here. It's a disaster. Uh, it will be on President Biden's watch, but uh, I'm sorry to say President Trump is encouraging it too. Geopolitically, it's terrible. Uh, this is South Asia. We will have no major base in South Asia. Uh, Bagram Air Force Base is a substantial place. We do a lot of monitoring from there. And by the way, the Belt and Road uh, strategy of China across Asia into Europe uh, goes right through uh, Afghanistan. We've now made it a lot easier. Plus, consider those women. What's going to happen to them? Are they going to be able to go to school? And I hope we have gotten out as many people who helped us as possible. Uh, finally, uh, not just a moral victory, but in some ways a real victory for the Taliban. We cheered when they, uh, you know, outweighed the Soviets. Uh, the Soviets left and we applauded. Now we're leaving. Very sorry to say this, but I think this is a dreadful and huge mistake. And I said that when Trump was there, but at least Trump had a system for us to dismount. We had 2,500 troops and it was working because you had another 2,500 NATO troops and they weren't in a long war. And you have to understand, I'm not saying build a nation. That was a looking post for us. South Korea is not only helping South Korea, it is helping us. Our presence in Japan, not only helping Japan, it is helping us. Our presence in Germany, not just helping Germany, it's helping us. What Trump did great was say to them, listen, we're protecting you. You got to pay up a little. And they did. And he was right. Well, you want a missile system? Yeah. Can you pay for it? No. Really? You can't pay for it. And he was making them justify getting this defense system for free. I have no problem with that. The other thing I wanted to bring up before this hour is three is Eric Adams' victories, 22 years on the police force. He grew up in New York City, and he said that he was uh, he was beat up by the police unjustifiably. I haven't really done a thorough look into his background, but that's part of it. He also became a cop and was successful, uh, but he was also a thorn in a lot of uh, police commissioners' sides because he was he was uh, looking for reform, uh, and he went into politics. He had some success there. He ended up leaving after 22 years and running to become a state senator and then borough president. He was able to put a law and order campaign together because law and order is the number one issue. Attention Republicans, and you're never going to pay attention Democrats, but crime matters. Crime supersedes all. Security supersedes all. Even Al Sharpton picked up what Eric Adams was doing, even though he's been at the forefront of vilifying cops. Cut 18. Eric Adams put together a broad uh, coalition uh, that I think shows where we are going in the future of the Democratic Party uh, nationally. You must remember he won four of the five boroughs including Staten Island. There was a time it was unimaginable for a black candidate for mayor to win Staten Island. You look at Alvin Bragg's race for the district attorney in Manhattan, a very prestigious position, first time a black got it. And Eric Adams, at the same time, same primary, both of them ran as one that understood the police reform movement that people like me have been part of, but the need for safety. Both of them came down the middle of saying we must deal with inequality, but we also must deal with how the city is going to function. People want to be safe at the same time they want to see reform. See, I mean, that's as normal as I've heard Al Sharpton speak over the last year. Almost analytical, not the firebrand that hops up in Minneapolis making everything worse. 
and in Ferguson, making everything worse. But there he makes a lot of sense. People want to be secure. No one ever talked about that. Cops are the problem. Empty the prisons. No cash bail. Cops are the problem. Now you're realizing they are not the problem. And you want to do some work around the edges to uh, modernize policing, give them the latest. I mean, what industry doesn't modernize and get better? None. So, of course, you could add things to the academy. You could lengthen it. You could change the curriculum in the academy, less books, more physical, vice versa, whatever it is. Not saying I'm a law enforcement expert, even though most people claim to be one. So I'm just wondering if this could leave clues. Now, Democrats are pretending to take we we're trying to uh, now we're trying to support police. Don't buy it. There's a reason why 36 percent of the people in America support Joe Biden's stance on crime. But I think if the Democrats are smart, they'll pick up clues to Eric Adams' success. And Eric Adams, if he wasn't law and order, he watched one of his volunteers get knifed. We all saw that video of two kids walking into a store and they're caught in a crossfire between two gangsters being shot in broad daylight, shooting each other. And then Eric Adams said, I'm going to take money out of my own pocket to get a reward to, to wrangle these guys. And one of the, both these shooters were black guys. So to me, he might have got a dose of reality. When you sit behind that desk, if you're not a moron like the current mayor is, doesn't care, ideologue, if you want to be successful, and it looks like Eric Adams has overcome a lot to be successful, that's how you do it. I don't care what you believe. What does it take to get it done? Crime's out of control in this city. Are you going to pretend like it's not? Just because Rudy Giuliani had certain things that you didn't like? It worked with him. It worked with Bratton. It worked with Carrick. You should know that. Basile... uh, uh, Smickle, he's been on here before. Smickle, he's a Democratic, uh, he's a Democratic operative, political consultant. Cut twenty-one. Eric Adams spent the latter part of his campaign talking about crime and quality of life, and uh, so I think in, for many voters that, that was um, one of the big selling points for him. Brian, you're listening to WRCN. Brian, what's on your mind? Yeah, so I heard these interviews with these Georgetown kids, and and it really it really hurt me to hear that this next generation is coming up not appreciating what sacrifices and what a great country this is. And and I think you know obviously there's an issue with teachers, you know, um, but but I think moreover I think Hollywood's to blame. I think the, the elite athletes that that made millions and millions of dollars playing a sport are to blame. You know, kids are impressionable, and, and they look up to these kids, to these people, and, and they're, they're doing a huge disservice to this country, and, and they need to wake up because when this country falls, China fills, fills the void, and then we're all in for a completely different horizon. True. In fact, here are these Georgetown kids from Campus Reform that you're referring to that we rolled in yesterday. They were just asked about the country on the 4th of July. Are you proud to be an American? No. (laughs) I feel embarrassed to be an American every day. Not really in this climate. Not most of the time. I think sometimes it's just a little embarrassing. No. (laughs) Be proud of what? What is there to be proud about if you're black? I think that's a complicated question for me. I think most of the time, no. At least over like the past four years, um, it's been tricky to, you know, love to be an American. You're nuts. I mean, that's where you found us. I appreciate it. Georgetown's an elite university, and that's how just about everybody felt it went there, according to the campus reform reporter. Eric, listen on WOKV, our coveted affiliate in Jacksonville. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian. You had Jesse Waters on yesterday. You ever see his videos? Those Georgetown, the kids think that uh, England won the Civil War. But uh, the left (laughs) is eating itself. The left is eating itself slowly. Um, That hammer thrower in the Olympics. 
her America is going to let some woman that used to be named Paul throw the hammer 100 feet farther than her and erase her from the record books. And uh, it goes into sports, too. I'm sure you'll enjoy the sports comment, but why did Scottie Pippen wait till Kobe Bryant was dead and can't rebut his racist comment about his coach? If he was such a racist, why didn't he bring this up back then? It kind of reminds me of, uh, what's her name, Ashley Judd, the Me Too girl? She took Harvey Weinstein's money. She took his fame. Every woman that was assaulted after Ashley Judd said nothing. It's on Ashley Judd's hands. And my, my 22-year-old liberal daughter is noticing all this stuff. And she's, because of people like you and Hagseth, my daughter's actually coming back to the center, Brian. She sees this Scottie Pippen thing. Like, why didn't he say anything yeah. back then? And Kobe can't dispute. He says, oh, he was racist towards Kobe, and he said this to Kobe. Well, Kobe can't speak about that. So well, Shaquille O'Neal, Shaquille, uh, Eric, good points, but and I'm glad to hear about your daughter. Uh, I don't think Republicans are right 100 percent of the time, and I I know one thing: it's very hard to find a Republican who's not patriotic. And I can't say the same thing about Democrats. They are happy to be here. Uh, and there's so many. De- if if we're, if Chuck Schumer is happy to be an American, he should have spoke up when everybody spoke out, like Maxine Waters. And Corey Bush over the weekend. That's true. And just on the Scottie Pippen thing, uh, Michael Jordan stayed silent, but Shaquille O'Neal didn't. He says he's absolutely not a racist, which is definitely healthy. We know Phil Jackson, not a racist. I thought that was a given. The winningest coach of all time, coaching 95% African-American athletes. Do you think he could let that slip by? Don't think so. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, I'll take some more calls and let you know more stuff. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I will note that the president continues to um, work to address uh, violent crime. We've seen rays go up over the last 18 months around the country, including in the city of Chicago. And as you know, Lynn, from covering this, uh, we see spikes in violent crime typically during summer months, often, unfortunately, uh, during holiday weekends. And we saw that over the last weekend. Well, we uh, don't really think it's summer months because uh, the summer is not the reason because for the most part, it's not because people wearing short sleeves and flip-flops. It's because right now we're in a situation where we're coming out of a pandemic and we have violence running wild, mainly because police officers are not on the street, not empowered to do their job. And now you want to say better community policing when you can't even fill up an academy class after you cut a billion dollars of the anti-crime budget? That is Jen Psaki talking nationally. I'm telling you about what's happening in New York. And because there's no law enforcement and because there's a sense of frustration in New York and entitlement, add to that the critical race theory and everything people are feeling in America today that we are unjust and we are racist, that is playing to the fact that people can now rationalize a lot of the crimes they're doing. Do you know in California they are told not to pursue and they certainly not to arrest anyone who steals under $950? Really? So I could steal $950 worth of things. I could walk into CVS and do that. I could walk into Kmart, Walmart, or Dick's Sporting Goods and go do that. So bad it's getting in California, they're actually closing Neymar 
uh, Neymar, uh, Neiman uh, Marcus, uh, Target, and these other stores early because they can't protect anything at night. And I guess they're using fences to cut everything down, uh, to close everything down, to stop people from actually breaking in, which is never easy, especially if you have these huge groups determined to do things. We've already seen uh, all that video uh, taking place. But crime right now in Los Angeles. I picked up Los Angeles Times today, downloads it. 12 dead on the 4th of July, homicides up 25%. But don't worry, New York Governor Cuomo is on top of things. He's taking things into his own hands. It's all about guns. Here he is. Cut 30. Only industry in the United States of America immune from lawsuits are the gun manufacturers, thanks to George Bush and the NRA. New York is going to sign a law today that reinstates the public nuisance liability for gun manufacturers. This is going to be a very big deal. Really? Okay, so if people abuse drugs that sold at a pharmacy, you're going to sue the pharmacy? I mean, why is that a problem? You're going to tell me people on the streets are worried about getting sued or gun manufacturers have any control of the fact that people might buy a gun in Indiana and then sell it to someone illegally and kill somebody in Chicago? And now in New York, you're going to try to go for the same thing. You go back to stop and frisk, you know, stop the guns. You know that, but you stop that. More from Cuomo, Cut 29. We went from COVID to the epidemic of gun violence and the fear and the death that goes along with it. It's been all over the newspapers. It is undeniable. It's so bad that when you look at the recent numbers, more people are dying of gun violence than of COVID. And they're actually clapping for that. Can you believe this guy still has a job with 10 sexual harassment accusations? What he did with the book, using his staff, getting this huge signing bonus about the pandemic, which he totally screwed up, and then getting his family favoritism when it comes to COVID-19 tests from his brother to his donors? Senator Tom Cotton on this ridiculous move in New York, 32. But this is of a piece with what Joe Biden proposed a couple of weeks ago to confiscate the rifles of law-abiding citizens but in part, in many cases, to protect themselves from the breakdown of law and order in our cities. It would do nothing to stem the flow or stem the violence from soft on crime policies, almost all of which crimes are committed in cities with handguns, not with rifles. So think about that. The government is turning a blind eye and in some cases even releasing criminals on the street to terrorize and victimize our citizens while trying to take away the means of self-defense from law-abiding citizens. It's nuts. And New York Post writes in their editorial, to do what he's doing today, taking away guns, if he really wants to attack crime, he needs to start working to undo all the foolish laws he passed on his watch. But there's not a word in the long time in, in, in his long release about fixing the disastrous bail reform he so proudly signed into law, even though it guaranteed that nobody would see jail time just because they got caught with an illegal gun. Think about that for a second. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Oliver North with us shortly on the leaving Afghanistan in the horrific way we're doing it. 
uh, and other options we had and maybe still have. And then we're going to be joined uh, by David Asher. If you want to know about the origins of the virus, what happened along the way, David Archer, excuse me, David Asher would be that person. So we'll hear from him. And, of course, take your calls, one 408 7669 If you're back at work, I know, first time of the year and a half, and you're rather right, just go to briankillme.com, and I'll be able to get your messages. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Associated Press projects Eric Adams as the winner of the Democratic primary in the race for New York City mayor. The former police captain will likely be on the ballot in November. And since about two-thirds of the city's eligible voters are registered as Democrats, Adams is expected to win and be the next mayor of New York. Uh, Yes, 22-year-old captain. Excuse me, a 22-year-old NYPD veteran. He's now 60. Eric Adams takes the Democratic nomination with the closest thing the left has to a law and order message in New York City. What does that say about America and how we're feeling about our safety and security and what it should mean for 2022? Number two. Now we need to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oftentimes door to door, literally knocking on doors to get help to the remaining people protected from the virus. Yeah, knocking on doors. Yeah, Joe Biden plans on doing that to make sure you're vaccinated. Uh, It's not okay with me. Is that okay with you? Especially now as they refuse to admit if you have the virus and have the antibodies, you don't need the shot. And why so many are getting sick from it, even if it's two or three days and others like me have no after effects. Number one. Mark my words. Our union will defend any member who gets in trouble for teaching honest history. We have a legal defense fund ready to go, and we are preparing for litigation as we speak. Yes, critical race pushback. Teachers unions dig in to keep CRT as part of the K-12 curriculum while still denying they do it. Why this might be the most important fight in America today and why we must kill CRT for good. Uh, A guy who's an historian does some great work on camera and in his books. Uh, And I really have him on to talk about his war background and what he saw in Afghanistan and how disturbing it is to see the way we're leaving. But I want to talk to you about history first. Lieutenant Colonel uh, Oliver North, welcome back. It's good to be with you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Colonel, you've done so much throughout your career. Uh, First off, I got to ask you about critical race theory. Are you as disturbed (laughs) as I am about how they're trying to indoctrinate kids into how America and white males are the enemy of, of everybody? Well, you know, I've got 18 grandkids, and our kids have been homeschooled, and our kids and our grandkids have been homeschooled. They've been sent to public schools. They've been sent to private schools. They've gone to military base schools. And my mom was a school teacher for 40 years, okay? She would be rolling over in her grave right now to see what's happening in the public schools of America and in many of the private schools. I mean, we're we're blessed that we've got some great private schools down here. We've got a school teacher in Loudoun County, not 15 minutes from where I'm sitting right now, who has been fired because he refused to talk to kids in third grade about what gender they want to be. It's not just critical race theory. It's it's the entire educational system of this country has bankrupted itself on all of these crazy leftist ideas. And when the, and the, when the people show up to object, the school board calls the Board of Supervisors in Loudoun County. The, super, the supervisors declare it to be an illegal meeting. 
and demand that the sheriff come in and arrest people and drag them out of the building. It wasn't the sheriff's fault. In fact, the sheriff made a very public statement when his deputies were called in. This is not my decision. It wasn't his decision. But it's all about this kind of craziness that they're trying to teach our kids and our grandkids. So they're in denial about it. This Randy Weingarten is is the president of the second biggest teachers union. Right. Said this. Cut five. Cultural warriors are labeling any discussion of race, racism, or discrimination, SCRT, to try to make it toxic. They are bullying teachers and trying to stop us from teaching students accurate history. She, she's flat out this lying. Student- she's flat out lying. And she also yeah. goes on to say she's not teach, it's not taught in K through 12. as flat out lie. <laughs> well, part of the problem is that they've lied to themselves for so long, they now believe what they're saying is right. That's the, the nutty part of this whole thing is, it's been moving in this direction way before this administration. This administration is just now making it mandatory to do this kind of stuff. You want federal money in your public school system, you're going to have to teach it the way we want to teach. And, of course, the way we want to teach is what you just heard from Ms. Weingarten. The whole idea of teaching kids this stuff instead of the science, technology, engineering, and math that they're going to need to survive in this world is just lunacy. The military is being done. The same thing is happening in the military. The Secretary of Defense ordered back in February that every single unit with anybody in it has to take an entire day off to teach this kind of crap that does absolutely nothing for military readiness. And no one is standing up in the administration saying, knock it off. The commander-in-chief certainly isn't. And when you look at what's, yeah. what's at transpiring, it is unhealthy for our country. It's unhealthy for our kids. It's unhealthy for our military. And ultimately, it destroys the readiness of the force. 1.5 million man days have been wasted on this stuff, at least. And there'll be more of it. Colonel, how, you know what? Sports and the military are two areas in which flattened the whole uh, uh, race barrier quicker than anything else in society. Now they're going back and they're trying to blow it up. Yeah. Look at the, Title IX. I mean, we've got states where... where People who were born as men are now playing women's sports and, of course, dominating the field. Uh, the, the idea that we can tinker with this kind of stuff is not only is it morally reprehensible, it doesn't make any sense. So this guy, Ian Rice, was just on with uh, Bill Hammer, and he was uh, talking to Bill Hammer about it. He has a white wife, and now he sends his kids to school, and they're basically teaching him that his wife is bad. Listen. Critical race theory is teaching that white people are bad. That's not true. That would teach my daughter that her mother is evil. What is your criteria to educate the educators? And who are you to educate my children, or any of our children, in life issues? That's our job. And that was him after that, uh, board of, uh, him speaking in front of the board. He went and spoke, spoke to Bill. Do you understand where he's coming from? Absolutely. I, I, look at We've gone nuts here, friend. We, and again, I'm looking at this through the perspective of the 18 grandkids we got. They span in age from college sophomore all the way down to diapers, okay? The, the youngsters who are in high schools right now are having this stuff drilled into their heads if they're in a public school. And so what you're going to see is people who can, who can afford it, 
And Fox, as you know, paid me a lot more to get shot at than the Marine Corps did. And we saved a lot of it. You can now use 529 funds, not just for college, but for kids in high school. That's what's going to happen this fall when our kids go back to school. Every possible one of them is going to go to a private school or be homeschooled. And what's the consequence of that for the public schools? The people who have the means to do so are going to send their kids to a place where they can learn what they need to know in order to survive in this world. The crap that's coming out of this so-called critical race theory, this whole gender reassignment business, all of this stuff is damaging to our country. And the only solution is those of us who can afford to do so are going to take our kids out of the public school, and that's going to ultimately degrade the quality of the education that youngsters are getting because they're wasting so much time on this crap. America's dying from the inside, uh, not from the outside, unless someone's pulling those... Uh, China and Russia are using social media to manipulate our society, which they did mildly in 2016. I want to get you on Afghanistan, and I can imagine for you who've been there multiple times how you feel about the way we're leaving. It looks as though our, the Afghan troops are running for the hills. A thousand gave up our equipment that we gave them and gave it over to the Taliban. Ten thousand want to get out because they've helped us in the past. Why are we well, leaving this way? Well, in large part because you got a very, very uh, anti-American administration. I mean, what we need in the State Department today is a U.S. interest section. You need somebody who's going to stand up and speak for for the good of our country. The idea of getting out of the place was not a bad one. The way in which we're doing it is terrible. The idea of leaving behind 17,000 interpreters, translators, and people who helped our country while we were there to simply cut and run, just like Obama did in 2011 out of Iraq, we're now going to repeat the same disaster and make it far worse. Because what you're liable to end up with is an event very much like the one I experienced in the, in the spring of 1975. Saigon. Anybody remember what Saigon was like? The planes that went down, the helicopters that crashed, the, the people fleeing off the roof of our embassy? That's going to, be, by the way, be impossible to go that way out of Afghanistan because there's no water around to go out to the ships. And right. what you're going to end up with is tens of thousands of refugees trying to flee the country and getting stopped at every border around because they're not going to go into Pakistan. They might make their way up, up north into Russia, Uzbekistan, all the kinds of the things that we should have been doing months ago to plan for this. And that includes not just the 17,000 interpreters, or as we used to call them, the Terps. It also includes 130,000 of their family members. And the Pentagon announced two or three weeks ago, we're ready to do that. All we need is the order to do so. Didn't happen. So and you have people, right. hundreds of them are already being murdered. So Michael Waltz fought there, yeah. and he says this is what he experienced and this is what he fears. Listen. So we have to send our special operators back in. Uh, to take care of this problem, like we did when Obama pulled out of Iraq too soon and it led to the rise of ISIS. The difference in Afghanistan is they're going to have no bases. Uh, We have no bases in the region, and they're going to have no local allies. Who would trust us again? Who would stand with us again uh, after they've been abandoned? And, Dana, you know my own personal story uh, that I had a— I had one of my interpreters that was found by the Taliban with the documentation he needed to prove that he worked with America— they took him back to his village, beheaded him, his brothers, and his cousins. Uh, they have a bullseye on their back. They're being hunted down as we speak, and the White House is doing nothing about it. 
They say they're doing something, but there's no plan in place. They're trying to find a third country to put 10,000 people. Yeah, well, I, I will tell you right now, the plan was put together. It was done by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It was sent up to the Secretary of Defense. And this Secretary of Defense is the kind of person who is more interested in teaching critical race theory than he is in helping our allies who have already put their lives on the line, serving with us. I mean, every I, I made 60-plus embeds over there. Every single one of those units had the kinds of people that we're talking about here. They had interpreters. They had translators. They had people who were servicing uh, all the logistics that are coming in. All of those people are in, in great harm's way. The, the appalling part of this is, as, as Mike Waltz just said, what's going to happen if we have to go back in? We'll have no friends at all. The, consequ- the recovery from Vietnam, May 31st of 1975, the recovery from that took 20 years, 20 years for the military to recover from that. What do you mean? That's what, no, what I'm talking about is the morale of the military. Morale. There were so many good people who were wasted yeah. in that war. To recover from that, it took 20 years. Yeah. And, and Ronald Reagan began the process. Well, I'll tell you right now, if they, if they repeat what we did in Saigon in 1975 with helicopters leaving the roof, and apparently they're leaving in the middle of the night from Bagram, Bagram's now abandoned. I sure as the devil hope that they got enough air, airplane parking spaces in Kabul that aren't going to get rocketed. So if, well, if the Taliban take this thing within six months, you know, why would we staff an embassy? I mean, they're supposed to be negotiating with the Afghan government. That's what Trump worked out. And I'm not thrilled with Trump's exit plan either. I wasn't at the time. I'm not now. Because, Admiral, uh, Colonel, as you know better than uh, almost anybody, we were not – it wasn't just about the Afghan government. It gave us a base of operations to keep an right. eye, eyes on al-Qaeda, ISIS, and perfectly situated between China and Russia. Where yep. else are we going to get Iran. this type of intel? And Iran. Where else are we going to get this type of intelligence? Yeah. So we, we, that had to be explained to the American people. And we could gradually stop the financing of the Afghan government, maybe get a plan together where they'd be standing up on their own. So uh, I just think it was extremely frustrating. Final thought on this, Colonel, how you see this coming out? Uh, I don't, it does not look well. It does not look like a positive outcome. I, I urge everybody, pray for our country. Pray for the, the, the survival of those interpreters and their families. Got it. God willing, we'll find a way to get them out. Colonel, let's stay in touch. It's been too long. Thanks so much, Stand Colonel Alvin North. Buddy. You Appreciate got it. You. All right, uh, the great Lieutenant Colonel Alvin North. When we come back, your turn, one 866 Then we delve into the origins of this virus. To David Asher, a senior fellow with the Hudson Institute, uh, and in 2020 he served at the State Department where he spearheaded a task force for the Office of Secretary of State on the origins of COVID-19. He'll share with us what he knows. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Here's the deal. We are continuing to wind down the mass vaccination sites that did so much in the spring to rapidly vaccinate those eager to get their first shot and their second shot for that matter, if they needed a second. Now we need to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oftentimes door to door, literally knocking on doors to get help to the remaining people protected from the virus. 
Let me tell you something. Uh, the president's out of control. It's his only good news story. He COVID-19, the way it was distributed, gives no credit to warp speed. So he actually acts as if he came up with the vaccine, distributed the vaccine, and he gets high marks on that. He gets terrible marks on the border, terrible marks on crime. He's got uh, 50-50 marks on the economy. And we'll see what happens if he gets help if they do this infrastructure bill, but he keeps on emphasizing this coronavirus. We've got to get it over 70%. Why does he think that it's ever going to fly with people to get a knock at the door from a health professional or from a, a Biden supporter to say, did you get your vaccine yet? I don't want you at my door. I don't want you asking me if I got the vaccine until, of course, you make the effort to say, if you had the virus, you don't need the vaccine and for how many months they need it. Number two, is there a danger? Answer me this question. Is there a danger of having the virus, having the antibodies, and then getting the Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson vaccine? You have not been able to answer this. Where the microchondritis, or however you say it, the swelling of the heart, the inflammation of the heart, where that's coming from. So I don't think I'm going to get it. A 17-year-old or a 12-year-old doesn't think they're going to get it. Now you find out that that could be one of the ramifications of it. Slow down, Mr. President. Maybe you should ask that question to your health professionals and stop jamming the vaccine down everyone's throat every second of the day. That is single-handedly the reason why we're out of this pandemic and we're first and we're the best. I agree. I got it. But before you do that, start answering people's questions who are reluctant to take it. And number two is we can make our own choices. We do on a daily basis. Some people choose to skydive. Some people hang glide. Some people cliff dive. It all doesn't seem, it seems to me, way too risky. I don't even want to ride a motorcycle. But I'm not going to judge people that do. It's a risk. It's a risk that people in America are choosing to take. It does not affect me if you refuse to get a vaccine. That is your choice. The chances of getting it from someone who's unvaccinated are so small, it is a non-factor. When we come back, the origins of this hell we've been in, the origin of COVID-19, David Asher, what he knows, he'll share. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. How did COVID-19 start? What was the origin of COVID-19? We've asked that question for more than a year and requested that the House majority hold hearings to investigate the origins of COVID-19. Perplexingly, Speaker Pelosi has refused to allow a single hearing, calling it a diversion. This is far from a diversion. The evidence continues mounting that this was a man-made disaster that started in the Wuhan lab. If that is the case, then it might be considered dramatically worse than Chernobyl. Uh, That is uh, Steve Scalise uh, trying to be somewhat political, but people are fed up with the lack of cooperation and the origins of this virus. Once you had your Facebook page um, uh, shelved because you put something on that said this started uh, at the Wuhan lab and now it's becoming conventional wisdom, or is that too much of a leap? Let's ask David Asher. He's senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. In 2020, he served the State Department, where he spearheaded a task force for the office of the secretary looking into the origins of COVID-19 and the role of the Chinese government. David, thanks so much for making time for us. Chris, good morning. How are you? David, do you believe it's now more likely than not uh, the Wuhan lab is where this started? 
Yes, and I believe that uh, since uh, pretty early on in our investigation, um, the way we did this investigation at the State Department, uh, it was uh, it's an arms control related investigation. There's something called the Biological Weapons Convention that was originally negotiated in the 1970s and then revised in the 80s. And as I recall, um, uh, the uh, and the BWC prohibits uh, any sort of undeclared research into uh, 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 bioweapons-related technology or application. Uh, undeclared is the key thing. You can declare all sorts of stuff for defensive purposes, um, and indeed the Chinese typically do. But we, we learned very early on that in 2016, mysteriously, they stopped declaring all sorts of things. They said there was no military-related programs at Wuhan Institute. They were said with no research into SARS, which they'd been focused on, just disappeared. Uh, and there were no classified programs. All three of those are totally learned that were total lies and had been for years uh, as we went back and looked at the record. So the Chinese started covering something up quite a while ago. Um, and there are a lot of other facts I could I could illuminate if you want. I just let me know what you well, I mean, go with this. You know, we've been going back and forth on this for about a year. And the one thing is pretty clear is it instead of the curiosity that you have shown in the past and others uh, have shown, it, there seems to be a lack of curiosity for that from a guy that never leaves television, Anthony Fauci. What was it like being on the inside with uh, with <laughs> Fauci and company pushing against you? Well, I mean, they, they, they really couldn't push very easily against us um, because they had no evidence. I mean, the, the, the crazy thing about this for, from the standpoint of the American people in my mind, and the world, I mean, the citizens of the world, everyone's been affected, that we look for intelligence and diplomatic information and basically anything, CDC, NIH, anything they had that could prove this came out of nature. We found nothing. I can tell you, I was the senior advisor for East, East Asian Pacific Affairs reporting to the Secretary of State when Secretary Powell uh, uh, was Secretary of State. And we saw all sorts of information that the Chinese were hunting for SARS, and they asked us for help. I was there in uh, January 20, 2003 at the same time as Fauci. Um, we were meeting with the Chinese, and um, the Chinese didn't want their people to know that we were helping them, which is sort of a cover-up. But um, we did form these teams to cooperate. I, I was uh, not involved in that. I was there just because I was a senior diplomat in town visiting on, for, for some other issues related to North Korea, but I we did participate in a day, a day of meetings with the Chinese health minister, and they said, we got a big problem. We're trying to figure this out. Can you help us? This time, they didn't ask us for anything. We offered 26 times, I counted, in January alone, made offers of assistance to CDC, State Department itself, NIH, none of which were, were responded to by the Chinese. It was lights out. <clears throat> and then we, but it, it only got worse from there because as we looked to the months and months of, of information collected by our embassies, by our consul general in Wuhan, we just couldn't get any evidence out of the Chinese or the NIH or any of the U.S. public health authorities that they had clear zoonotic evidence behind their assertions that this thing came out of nature. Whereas we started finding all sorts of evidence that implied a lab leak. You know, I mean, as a detective, I got to sort of go where the facts lead. There were like no facts to support the zoonotic origin. Now, I don't rule out that there could be, but I mean, why wouldn't the Chinese want to present them to us? And why would the NIH go on national TV director, 
you know, uh, Collins as well as Fauci and say that they're confident this came out in nature when they had no proof. Aren't they? Is that sort of not what scientists are supposed to do? They're supposed to have proof. So I why? Mean, it's so would, it's, it's like sham science. I, I know. Actually. And the thing is, it, be, it definitely hurt us as uh, as a pedestrian. People have explained it to me. We had no idea what was about to hit our shores. We thought it was going to be SARS-1. It ends up being a different way it spreads and a different virus altogether. Therefore, the CDC did not have the right tests. So we weren't able well, to test I mean, when the, it landed in Washington. The thing about it that's such an Achilles heel, and I'm looking at a, an article from the New England uh, uh, Journal of Medicine, uh, you know, we're a very famous uh, journal called Asymptomatic Transmission, the Achilles Heel of Current Strategies to Control COVID-19, published in May 28th, 28th of 2020. I mean, the scientists have been looking at this. The asymptomatic spread, as I understand it, talking to lots of doctors, does occur as people get more exposed to certain types of viruses, like we all have 100, 100 200 viruses in us at any one time, a minimal, I understand. But the, our bodies are, have become essentially immune or, or insensitive to them. So, you know, when you catch a cold, you usually typically stop, start sneezing, et cetera. We all know that. Well, when you catch COVID-19, unlike SARS, most, you know, the majority of people don't even know they've got it. So they're, they're, they're so-called interferon in their body, which causes you to sneeze and all that, doesn't start popping up. The question is, was, it, was there something in the sequence surrounding COVID-19 and the work the Chinese were doing to create COVID-19, which I'm confident they were working on, um, that was designed to, for, to enhance the stealthiness of the spread more than normal? Um, I mean, there are cases where people have the flu and don't know it, and they, it transmits. But it's, it's usually when there's a new type of flu. This, this is, this, the doctors tell me, including from NIH, including you know, Dr. Redfield, I've heard him speak about this, uh, not to me directly, but just on video conferences, you know, that this asymptomatic spread is really weird. But there's five other things that are weird, just as weird. I won't go into any detail, just pre-epidemic infections. There always are, like with SARS, there were all sorts of people getting it. And, and, and before the thing really broke out, but you could trace them back. This time, this thing just sort of dropped out of nowhere like a bomb and went off, and suddenly there's people all over, all sorts of people getting infected. There were no, they, they, there's, there's been no intermediate host animal. They, the Chinese say they tested 80,000 animals and have found no evidence of COVID-19 in the animal. I think with SARS, they found an unprecedented, like hundreds and hundreds of animals had exposure to it. So something's very odd about this. The genetic level of purity, uh, uh, Steve Quay, my colleague, has, has remarked on uh, uh, in, in the hearing we testified to. It just, this thing is like – normally, we, before they could jump from animal to human, they'd have to sort of evolve in nature. Well, this thing doesn't really show any evidence. It's got this crazy spike – Protein, um, which has this weird sequence um, uh, that, that, that is, is derived from, uh, you know, it's like you got a bat. It's like John Stewart said. You got a bat. You got a pangolin, this weird animal. Uh, it's receptor binder, binder domain and a human fur and cleavage site. And, and this fur and cleavage site is the thing that allows it to, to go into your lungs and your bloodstream and kill you. They're not logical to be together. I mean, how did it, you know, as he pointed out, how did that get together with the pangolin, get together with some human? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of weird scientist assumptions that this stuff just happens. If it happens, why haven't we seen 10,000 other uh, things like COVID-19? 
I mean, uh, this is this is like nothing in the history of the world. Exactly. I would say and they're that not makes curious. It very likely to be man-made. If it, th- th- those things alone augur for something, if, it, if this was a natural development, we should have seen it in the last thousand years of history, and we haven't. You know, right. we have the bubonic plague was a different thing. I mean, you know, and it, 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 everywhere it went, it killed people. The thing about this is this, this tar- targets the oldest segment of our population, the most expensive to treat. And, I mean, if you think of it, it's more like an economic weapon. You know, and, and, and even if it's designed as this one, as I said, in the last thing, it, well, they let it spread all over the world without telling us that it could spread asymptomatically human to human when they knew it. They lied to President Trump like four times on calls to Xi Jinping where he said, don't worry, it, won't, it can't even spread to human to human. I mean, in mid-January, as I understand it. So, like, they weaponized the virus, and they did nothing to stop it from spreading all over the world. They didn't shut down their airports. And remember, they had the U.S. military, excuse me, the World Military Games in Wuhan the next month. Yeah. And everyone came home afterwards. In October. And and it's quite possible that those people brought COVID with them. I mean, remember that a lot of the earliest stuff that that was posted by Chinese on WeChat and stuff like that, that the Chinese government's all taken down. But at the State Department and the U.S. government, we were picking up on that stuff still, um, uh, certainly as it was going on. And there was all sorts of panic around Wuhan. I mean, the people who went there talked said in mid-October it was like a ghost town. I mean, there certainly was activity around the old – there's two Wuhan Institutes of Virology. It gets confusing. There's an old campus and a new campus. It appears that the old campus was where a lot of the most dangerous COVID-related research with bats was occurring. They, the, uh, they, the, 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 the new campus was, in, was open, but it wasn't – it was still being – some it. aspects were being finished construction. So, like, the place where COVID broke out originally in Wuhan was right in the streets around the old Wuhan Institute. And a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, athletes apparently transited through that area in that time period when the Wuhan Institute apparently was shut down because of some lab leak. So I want you to hear, I know. So I want you to hear what CBS had a couple of days ago, a little of this packaging, and we've got to forget, remember, there were some, some lag technicians that tested positive, cut 44. Among the findings that researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology became sick with COVID-19-like symptoms in the fall of 2019, before the Chinese Communist Party went public with the virus. Fife said the information was solid and credible. The U.S. government's information on this, uh, on this fact, on the lab workers being ill, was completely high confidence. State Department investigators also found the Wuhan lab had military ties and did high-risk research on coronaviruses. They're hiding lab records. They're hiding medical records. CBS News has also learned that one of the U.S. government's top labs, Lawrence Livermore, issued a classified report last year that found the lab leak theory was plausible. We read it and we were uh, instantly uh, both alarmed and impressed by its quality, uh, but alarmed by its conclusions. Until five months ago, David Asher headed a coronavirus task force at the State Department. What I can say is that it was important and persuasive. We needed to do deeper due diligence, including the potential that it came out of a lab. So that was uh, CBS put together with Catherine Herridge, who used to be here, doing a pretty thorough look. They said it's not true. Nobody in the lab tested positive, but they would not supply any information on that to Australia or anybody else. 
Well, it's a total. I mean, the Chinese. It's like when their lips are moving on this one. And this is not. This is not normally Chinese people. It's the Chinese Communist government. Okay, not the people of China, uh, who I think we, uh, should be liberated from the commies if we could only have the guts um, uh, to stand up to them. But the, 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 the people's the Republic of China is, especially with Xi Jinping celebrating his hundredth anniversary of the Communist Party uh, this week, this last week. Uh, he's a um, yeah, I mean, anyone who says anything who doesn't lie could just get executed. But interestingly, she, Dr. She did an interview for the New York Times a few weeks ago, the bat lady, okay, as she's known, the person who sort of worked on all this coronavirus stuff that probably led to COVID-19 being created. She, she said that the majority of work with live bats that were harvested from these caves full of very virulent bats back in 2012 she admitted for the first time was occurring in the BSL-2 laboratory. BSL-2 laboratory is like the office I'm sitting in. It's got about the security of a dentist office, according to Professor Ebright at Rutgers University. I mean, you want to come up with a way for this thing to have leaked out of a lab. It's because if you could just walk right out of one of those labs with probably live bats. I mean, uh, you know, live, uh, you know, they have monkeys in, the, in these labs, in the, in the, maybe in the slightly higher security labs. But, I mean, you know, th- there's evidence that the Chinese were selling animals. Even though this probably wasn't the proximate ho- source of this, their, their lab safety was, was horrendous. That, that, that facility was inspected by my own state colleagues, and they said that the security was horrible in terms of lab safety. They, so, they like, would, yeah. could they have leaked it? They could be out. Yeah, so thanks for your time. Uh, really? So, real quick, do you, if, you could, if you could actually tell the Biden administration to do something to get answers on this, what— leverage could they use could they have i'd put up a rewards for justice program immediately and i'd offer 10 to 15 million dollars for the first high for, for the first group of high level defectors to come to the united states to their new home of freedom and uh, tell us exactly what happened in that lab and we will work like we did against the soviet union using the cia and other agencies to get them out of china there's a where, where there's a will, there's a way to do this thing. Believe me, we've got to we stop need to the throw next. Throw a lot of money into it. It's a, it's it's possible. Thank you very much, Sean. Go get him, David Asher. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Gave you a lot. It's hard to imagine a better guest on this. Questioning everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Bruce Springsteen's daughter Jessica will be competing at the Tokyo Olympics on the U.S. equestrian team. She's 29 years old, ranked 27th in the world. I guess did good in the trials. Quote, been dreaming of this since I can remember. Jessica will be accompanied by a 12-year-old horse, Don Juan Vandehove, who also got a special shout-out. Is this a big deal, Allison? You're a big horseman. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch her compete. She's an excellent rider. Um, It's like her and then three others, McLean Ward, Kent Farrington, and Laura Kraut for the show-jumping portion of it. Um, she's excellent. She's honestly a great rider. It's nothing to do with who her father is. She's 
And a random yeah. fun fact, when I was in high school, I took care of her ponies when she first started. Wow, meritocracy still in sports. Shakari uh, Richardson reacts to being left off the Olympic roster for positive marijuana. Uh, kind of a confusing quote, but I think this is kind of sad. I go both ways. There's rules, but in America... Half the country, you can smoke marijuana with no repercussions. If she had a couple of beers, it wouldn't have been a problem. It's not performance enhancing. I understand both sides to this. I'm with you. I understand both sides. But at the same time, if you are that level of an athlete, why even put yourself in that position? Do you know how hard you have to train to be the fastest? Yeah. And she is among the fastest. Next, Twitter temporarily restricts professor's account from mocking the Chinese president. A New Zealand academic said that Twitter temporarily restricted her account because they mock uh, President Xi Jinping. That, according to the AP, the University of Canterbury professor's name is Anne-Marie Brady. She tweeted Sunday that the social media platform did that. How unbelievable they're protecting the president of China. And Twitter said that they didn't uh, They didn't say what prompted them to suspend her account. And what happens with this? They quickly do the move and they later just walk it back. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's going to be a big hour. We're going to be joined by uh, John Inarelli uh, shortly and then Miranda Devine at the bottom of the hour. Miranda's done a big explosive uh, editorial editorial or com last week about emails that show that Joe Biden was benefiting from Hunter Biden investments directly, directly. Unless someone wants to come out and say these emails are false, this implicates Joe Biden has been lying for two years, saying he has nothing to do or knows nothing of the pres- of his son's overseas business dealing. And uh, Joe Annarelli's retired FBI uh, of more than 20 years on the service, was a member of the executive staff of the SBI Cyber Division. We want to get an idea of the cyber attack that was maybe the most devastating yet. They say it didn't hit us that hard, even though it was a Miami-based IT company, the ransomware, the people who want the ransom is $70 million, and the word is it comes right from Russia. Joe Inarelli on that. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Associated Press projects Eric Adams as the winner of the Democratic primary in the race for New York City mayor. The former police captain will likely be on the ballot in November. And since about two-thirds of the city's eligible voters are registered as Democrats, Adams is expected to win and be the next mayor of New York. Yep, uh, and that's pretty big news. He's a 22-year-old NYPD captain. Adams, the Democrat nominee, nominee, likely to win if you look at how many Democrats there are in New York City. Curtis Lee will be his Republican opponent. What does that say about Americans? Because he ran as a law and order candidate, the closest thing the left has. Does that leave clues for 2022 what people care about? Number two. Now we need to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood. And oftentimes, door to door, literally knocking on doors to get help to the remaining people protected from the virus. Knocking on doors? Are you kidding me, Joe Biden? Save it, especially now. We understand where the shots are, and you have not even told us why we need a shot if we have the antibodies already. Do not knock on doors. And to quote Dan Crenshaw, you're not our parents. Number one. Mark my words. Our union will defend any member who gets in trouble for teaching honest history. We have a legal defense fund ready to go. 
and we were preparing for litigation as we speak. Uh, let me tell you something. If you were teaching honest history, you wouldn't need litigation. It's critical race theory. And it's a pushback by the teachers unions who are digging in to keep CRT as part of K-12, through even though they deny it's there. Too much evidence to the contrary. Why this might be the most important fight in America today and why we must kill CRT for good. Do you believe this Randy Weingarten? She has done more damage to America's youth than anybody else. Why is that? Because she represents the second biggest teachers union in the country. Because she held out for the longest time on behalf of the unions on the uh, much to the chagrin and the um, and the uh, destruction of children. Keep them in out of schools. Have them remote teach. I know remote teaching is terrible. You know what's worse? Keeping kids at home trying to learn remote because it's been a wasted year, especially the most vulnerable in our inner cities. She went to the CDC and made sure they massaged the language before they came out with their public declaration on what they should do with schools. Remember, she pushed back when they said you don't need 12, six feet. You need three feet apart. Close up. Uh, close up the distance between them. The six feet was something from 1918. The science did not add to that. They pushed back. They kept Chicago, New York City, Minneapolis, and Philadelphia, Los Angeles all closed. And now she wants to go in there and teach how bad white males are to second and third graders. Believe me, we know the truth. And we know when she says this, she is lying. Critical race theory is not taught in elementary schools, or middle schools, or high schools. It's a method of examination taught in law school and in college that helps analyze whether systemic racism exists, and in particular, whether it has an effect on law and public policy. Wrong. We've been seeing this backlash against boards, uh, school boards of ed because you are teaching critical race theory in the schools. You are vilifying one race over another. You're not, uh, you're not teaching this is where America is and this is where it was. You're teaching this is how bad America is. And if you have this Howard Zinn Foundation supporting you and helping you finance these the legal defense of your teachers who refuse to back off on CRT, you know it's bad. Howard Zinn hates America. He was actually pro. He was a communist in New York City uh, in in uh, before World War II, fought in World War II to his great credit, and came back so radical. Spelman College kicked him out as a professor because he was radicalizing students. He writes his best-selling book because it's anti-American, and now people use it as a manual, sadly, to hate our country. And talk about how we're all show. All show. I say to everybody who wants to subscribe to the Howard Zinn School of America, leave if you're not happy. That is wrong. I, I love this dad. If you're not teaching CRT in K through 12, what was this dad coming from? He happens to be black and he happens to have a wife that's white. Listen to him at a school board meeting. Critical race theory is teaching that white people are bad. That's not true. That would teach my daughter that her mother is evil. What is your criteria to educate the educators? And who are you to educate my children or any of our children in life issues? That's our job. True. And then he went and spoke to Bill Hammer today about that, expanding on it. Really? Uh, My wife is white and she's not evil. So I'd rather you not tell my nine-year-old she is or he is or whatever my kid comes home and says. 
That shouldn't be what happens. If they want to come home and say, Dad, what was going on in the 1960s? How could you possibly rationalize black and white water fountains in bathrooms in back of the bus? Let's have that conversation. That's an honest look at our past, and it ends with how much progress we've made and will continue to make. At the same time, look around. Condoleezza Rice, Secretary of State. Barack Obama, President of the United States. Former Secretary of Education, last two, uh, have been African-American. Look it around to the people that are looked up to uh, the most in entertainment and sports. We are leveling the playing field now all of a sudden to the to the great benefit of China, Russia, and our enemies. We're tearing each other apart on the inside, and it, believe me, I was worried enough when it was in schools, in colleges, now that it's been clear that it's infiltrated K through 12. And then Christopher Rufo, who's a former journalist, now senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, has discovered that it's infiltrated so many major corporations. Listen to what he told Tucker last night about a defense contractor, Raytheon, and what they're making their workers do. Cut seven. It's absolutely hypocritical. You look at it across a range of companies that have been exposed with this stuff. I think the best way to think about this, Tucker, is think of it as a protection racket, similar to the mob, the mafia, uh, where you pay a small fee. In this case, you signal virtue. You hire the right consultants. You sign the right pledges to pledge to, to, to decolonize your bookshelf or to interrogate your unconscious bias. And then these companies hope that they'll be left alone, that the, that, the, that the kind of social media mob, that the politicians in office, that the Biden administration will keep that taxpayer money flowing because they're exactly. signaling the right beliefs. But it's transparently absurd. It's gone from a meme. Tucker, the, there was a joke last year that Raytheon would put the rainbow flag on a drone strike. Uh, and now that, that meme, that joke has become a reality. Uh, I've shown the documents and it's really to the point of absurd. Uh, and if it wasn't so serious... Uh, everyone should be laughing. And now Christopher Rufo, who's been on here before, has people leaning out to, reaching out to him, saying, look what's going on in my company. What specifically is Raytheon doing? Let's listen. Cut eight. They launched this really political indoctrination program, teaching employees to judge each other on the basis of race, asking employees actually to identify one another on the basis of race during conversations. They provided specific rules for white employees, how to speak to black employees. Uh, and they even said that employees should reject the principle of equality, and in favor equality of outcomes, which is a synonym for socialism, maybe communism. Uh, and it's really astonishing because this is one of the largest corporations in the world. It manufactures key defense armaments, and yet it has been captured by this woke ideology that seems to be now the dominant force, not only in education and in government, uh, but also in business. Uh, I'm exposing it. Uh, and all Americans should be deeply concerned about what I've found. We are. When we come back, I'm going to speak to Joseph Onorelli about this cyber attack that hit us and devastated. Uh, it's hit uh, dozens of countries, and they want $70 million to release the cyber data uh, from an IT firm in Miami. Meanwhile, the president, former president of the United States is speaking at his Bedminster Golf Club about a glass action lawsuit against social media organizations, Facebook, Twitter, and more, and Instagram. I think they're owned by uh, Facebook. We'll talk about that and what the president's saying, what he's doing. I think he needs these social media sites if he wants to run again. He knows it, and hopefully he brings attention to it, and he wins. John Onorelli next, then Miranda Devine on Hunter Biden, the story that better never go away until we get to the bottom of it, the truth. Busy day. So glad you're here. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I received an update from a national security team this morning. It appears to have caused minimal damage to U.S. businesses, but we're still gathering information to the full extent of the attack. And I'm going to have more to say about this in the next several days. We're getting more detail and information. But that's what I can tell you now. And uh, I feel good about uh, our ability to... uh, Hey, just stop talking. He lost his train of thought. 1,500 businesses across the globe have been affected by the latest ransomware attack that happened over the weekend, targeting a Miami-based software firm, Casilla, as hackers demand $70 million to undo the damage. Uh, I hope they have not written this check yet. Uh, They would, excuse me, written the check. It would be uh, cryptocurrency that would do it. To put it in perspective on who could be responsible, all signs point to uh, these renegade organizations located inside Russia is John Anarelli, uh, retired from the FBI, more than 20 years of service, was a member of the executive staff of the FBI's cyber division. John, thanks for joining us. Brian, thanks for having me this morning. So it seems like, the, and I know people play politics and they could be doing acting tough behind the scenes, but they're trying to minimize this ransomware attack. Should they be? Not at all. This has got to be one of the worst ransomware attacks we've seen. The numbers keep growing. Initially, they said about 200 companies. This morning, they're saying maybe 1,500 companies. I'm also seeing $70 million. Think about that. That is $70 million we're talking about paying instead of putting in the economy, paying salaries, growing businesses. It's a waste of money. And where's it going to go? It's going to go to Russia. So when when the Russians say, yeah, we have nothing to do with this for these uh, organizations, what do you say? Well, they have nothing to do with it except for the fact that you can't do anything in Russia without the consent of the Russian government. Even the criminal organizations are paying their fair share to the government. Russia controls everything, and they have the ability to stomp it and stop what's going on if they wanted to. We need to get tough with Russia. So we were giving we gave them a list of places not to hit, which is farcical on its face. Uh, I don't know. Did we say cyber firms in Miami are okay? Apparently, uh, we're protecting the 16 critical infrastructures in any place that sells ice cream under the current administration. But the 16 critical infrastructures, everybody in the world that does cyber hacking knows what they are. So that was no big secret. But the message should be. Everything's off limits. And that is not clearly the message at all right now. We need to be very firm with Russia. There needs to be action taken. It Maybe it's going to be sanctions. Maybe it needs to be something more draconian. We certainly have cyber capabilities ourselves, if necessary. But right now, it appears that Russia believes we can be pushed around. What, what kind of message could we send right away? I mean, how close can we get to look, zero in on exactly who did it? And what could we do to them? Well, the FBI is very good at doing this. You saw in the recent hacks, they were able to actually get the money back as it was being transferred around. There is the ability to zero in. They have a very good idea. They 
the organization in Russia, the Re-Evil, which Russian Evil, it's a ransomware gang that does these sort of attacks. They know who some of the players are, certainly the Russian government as well. The intelligence agencies in Russia are going to know exactly who these people are. We need to be discussing stopping it and shutting it down right now. And if that's not done and we can't encourage them with financial threats, well, then think about North Korea a couple years ago when we had the attack against Sony. The U.S. was able to turn off the Internet access in North Korea for a few days as a message, lay off. Perhaps we should be looking at maybe some steps like that in certain areas. John, we got to have to leave immediate collaboration with private industries that we recognize that are vital for national interest and let them know we have to work with them and demand they hit certain criteria. Every business knows there's certain punch, uh, there's, uh, there's certain punch cards they got to fulfill in order to have a business, from the IRS to employee health care. You go up to them and say, if you want this IT firm, this is how you have to protect yourself. Sony, this is how you have to protect yourself. We're here as a resource. And then as, and a possibly an offensive method to attack. How urgent inside the White House is that sense uh, of protecting our infrastructure, like the pipeline that affected so many? I have no idea how urgent it is because I'm certainly not getting that message from when I watch these statements coming out of the White House. It seems to be rather cavalier. I also have a concern that do they understand it themselves? Most people don't really understand the intricacies of cybersecurity, and I fear that there's no one that's maybe speaking with the president on a regular basis explaining how significant this is. But trust me, the next big war and certainly the next big terrorism attack, we're talking cyber-related because look at how much damage you can do with a few keystrokes as opposed to having to do something in the real world. It's scary of what the future is going to be unless we take firm action. But, John, we find these businesses are paying all the time. So I don't know what their options are. I can't tell you their business plan. But it doesn't work in the big picture when you keep paying the ransom. And cryptocurrency does make it much more complicated, doesn't it? It does make it more complicated. It's harder to follow the money and get things back. But it's not impossible. Likewise, companies need to be looking at investing in cybersecurity. And not just the big companies. It's everybody. In this case, they hacked into a company that affected a thousand other companies. We have to insist not only that major companies take care of cybersecurity, but their contractors, their vendors as well. That's usually the way the hackers get in. And until people take cybersecurity seriously, we're going to have these problems. You know, you lock your door at night before you go to bed because you don't want somebody coming in. People need to be locking the doors to their networks to prevent criminals from coming in as well. If you are in government and you realize this came from a Russian-based hacking firm, uh, what do you say to Vladimir Putin? What could you do to send a message that reveals our capabilities specifically? Well, this is really pretty straightforward. If the hacking firm was from the U.S., and even if it was a dark criminal organization, our law enforcement would be able to root it out fairly quickly, round those people up, and take them in custody. We need to be telling Russia to do the exact same thing immediately. And they certainly have far more ability to do it because they don't have the Constitution that stands in their way. They can do whatever they want over there. And if Russia doesn't want to take those actions, 
Well, everybody else in the world is going to have the same problem. So it should be pretty easy to align sanctions worldwide against a Russian government that is allowing these sort of criminal actions to take place. But, Brian, let me add one last thing. It is in Russia's benefit the what we're seeing criminally, because every time something like this happens, it hurts the U.S. economy. It hurts the it U.S. Does. And that's exactly what Russia wants to see happen. John Nannarelli, it's been great, a great benefit having you on. Thanks so much. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. No, that Marion Barry. Marion Barry. Marion Barry. You, I, you know what? I, I actually smoked crack with Marion Barry. I swear to f- Jesus. I was in Georgetown, and he used to go to a place right next to the guards. <clears throat> and I was a sophomore, I guess. There was a um, junior when that happened, but he used to come there and drink, like, late, late. And I would be in uh. there. And he'd go to the bathroom. Uh, that was, uh, that was Hunter Biden. Who was he talking to? Do you know? So that's leaked audio. He's talking to somebody at the phone, but this is a little of what Miranda Devine has. And it's going to be an upcoming book, uh, the laptop from hell. Uh, she has, uh, been able to get the laptop and some other information about Hunter Biden. Look, the guy's got a bad, uh, drug problem that he's pretending has subsided when you're on crack. I don't think it ever totally subsides. But what he's done in with as he relates to his dad is what interests me and should interest you. And we're finding things out that shows Joe Biden was flat out lying when he said he knew nothing about the president, uh, about his son's international business dealings. Miranda Devine joins us now from The New York Post, a Fox News contributor. Miranda, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Great to be with you. Miranda, I how much stuff do you have? That- Every week I'm picking something else and something brand new. Are you do you have a lot and you're just waiting for September or are you getting more? Uh, well, look, it's it's there's thousands and thousands of documents on here. So I'm just, uh, you know, breaking some of the stories for the New York Post before um, the book goes. But, I mean, there's so much that's going to be in the book that we're going to continue to break, um, you know, up until, well, continued break. Because every time I look at the laptop, there's something else in there. And uh, it's really like like gold mining. You know, there are, there's a lot of dross you have to get through. And then at the bottom... Uh, you find gold and uh, it's it's really I mean it's his entire life is on this laptop and so and there's a lot of garbage on there but um, there's also a lot of evidence that points towards Joe Biden's complicity in this influence peddling operation that the Biden family was running overseas in the countries that Joe Biden had carriage for when he was vice president and you know, I, I think the rest of the media is ignoring this. Um, big tech censored it. Uh, it's being suppressed. You had uh, John Brennan and James Clapper and about 50 other former intelligence operatives came out very quickly last October after we published the first tranche of stories from the laptop in the New York Post. And they uh, wrote this open letter, which they gave to Politico and said, oh, this is Russian disinformation. They hadn't even looked at the laptop, but in their expert opinion, 
They had decided that it was Russian disinformation, which it isn't. Uh, and, you know, we've published thousands and thousands of words, so many revelations from this laptop, and nobody in the Biden administration, no one in the Biden family has ever said that it's anything but authentic. And on top of that, I mean, I, I have... Tony Bobulinski, who was a business partner of Hunter Biden's, uh, who realised he'd been ripped off and came out uh, before the election to declare that the information on the laptop was legitimate. I've cross-examined, cross-checked all the information in the three phones that I have the contents of that he handed over to the FBI at that time, and it cross-matches perfectly with the information on the laptop. And then you have another... Wait, wait, you have three phones of his? The contents of the three phones oh. that Tony Bobulinski oh, okay. gave to the FBI. So I have all the contents, which has got all the WhatsApp messages, all the emails, the text messages and so on in that period that he was uh, in in partnership with Hunter and, and Jim Biden uh, trying to get up this joint venture with the Chinese company CEFC um, when he realised when the Johnson Grassley report, the Senate report into Hunter Biden corruption in Burisma, when he realised that uh, they had hold of these uh, suspicious financial transactions through the Treasury Department, uh, and he saw this six million dollar um, transfer from China into a, a company associated with Hunter Biden, that's when Tony Bobulinski, the light went off for him, and he thought, "Aha." That's why our joint venture never came on, because the Bidens had a side deal. So he was uh, very enraged about that. And uh, and then when he saw the laptop being dismissed as Russian disinformation, that really uh, affronted him as well, because, uh, you know, he's not involved in Russian disinformation. Um, so he came forward and he said, well... These uh, emails and documents are correct. I, I was a recipient or a, a sender of some of them. And uh, and the, the big guy who's uh, talked about throughout the laptop as receiving money or receiving 10% of uh, this joint venture with the Chinese, that big guy is Joe Biden. And Tony Bobulinski met Joe Biden twice in Los Angeles. He was introduced to him when he first came on board with the Bidens to be basically vetted and anointed by Joe Biden. So for him to say that he knew nothing about it is wrong, but it's not Tony Bobulinski against Joe Biden's word or Hunter Biden's word. But by the way, they never denied it. Joe Biden's never been asked about Tony Bobulinski. Do you know him? Did you meet him? At uh, Beverly Hilton, did you say take care of my family uh, on that day? Uh, are you going to say you don't recall because you were honored that day and you were the featured speaker that day, and <laughs> everything backed up with the records? Tony Bobulinski lost total faith in the media because they were not interested in his press conference. They barely had any questions. They gave Joe Biden a total pass, and Donald Trump handled that uh, that debate terribly. Never specifically brought it up, and it was handed to him on a gold platter. Uh, and I can't believe to this day how he screwed that up. But having said that, it shouldn't have come down to this. When you now have evidence that shows that the vice president's flying down an Air Force Two to Mexico with meet with Carlos Slim and another billionaire for a deal that would eventually uh, result only when Hunter Biden got on the Burisma board. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and you know the the series of meetings that Joe Biden had with 
Hunter's um, foreign business associates uh, and local ones, but the foreign ones are the ones that really uh, strike you. And we published a photograph during the week or last week of uh, Joe Biden meeting, uh, having a breakfast meeting at his residence, um, the vice presidential residence at the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. in 2015. That meeting was with Carlos Slim, who at one time was the world's richest man, and two other Mexican billionaires, that Hunter and uh, his other partner, Jeff Cooper, uh, a, a, a Joe Biden benefactor, a donor to Joe Biden for many years and a benefactor of, of Hunter and Uncle Jim for many years. He made a lot of money uh, thanks to Joe Biden in the um, asbestos litigation business. But, um, you know, Jeff Cooper is there, Carlos Slim, these two other Mexican billionaires having breakfast with Joe and Hunter Biden at the vice president's residence right before, right around the time that Hunter Biden and Jeff Cooper were doing these deals, these, uh, you know, energy deals in Latin America and, and uh, with with one set of the billionaires, the Alaman family, and hoping to get Carlos Slim and his sons, who Hunter had met with as well, to, to get to do business with. Um, very smelly. And then there was another meeting uh, we have a photograph of, and we published the story of this at Cafe Milano earlier that year in April of 2015, in which Joe Biden came along to meet uh, Hunter's business associates from the Ukraine. That was the guy from Burisma who was paying him $83,000 plus a month to sit on the board. So Ukraine, Russia, uh, and uh, Kazakhstan, all all uh, people that Hunter was making lots of money from. And Joe, well, where's Biden that money, Miranda? Up. Where's this money? Did he ever pay taxes well, on it? Where's this FBI investigation? Well, we just hope the FBI has the laptop. They've had it since November 2019 when the Mac. Uh, Shop, the MacBook repair shop guy uh, gave it to them. Um, and there are investigations going on into money laundering, into foreign uh, agent registration and into tax evasion, uh, allegedly, um, by the by the FBI, by federal authorities. So um, I can only hope, I mean, I don't see if you're an honest and honourable um, investigator, how you could have this laptop and look at it and not realise that there are a lot of threads that you can pull, um, and especially with their access, their subpoena powers and so on. Look at what you're doing. Um, You've done exactly. more than they've done. How could they sit on this for two years? This guy, there's well, millions of dollars that are unaccounted for. Well, I just hope that what they can do is uh, is that they're working they're – working, you know, very hard on it. I mean, it would take a lot of time. You'd need a team on it and you'd need to do some travel and you'd need to be interviewing people and, and so on. So to do it properly, uh, they, you know, to make a, a, any charges stick, they would have to um, spend some time on it. So, you know, I, I'm I'm still not, you know, I'm not completely pessimistic that they're not going to come up with something is, is what I'd say. And I have to be very careful because, of course, it's now the president uh, and and his son who are implicated. But this story, you know, it gets dismissed by the rest of the media as, oh, it's just about, you know, a, a private citizen, Hunter Biden, who struggled with a drug problem that he's now over and that he's fessed up to in his Nothing memoir. To do with that. So, 
Yes, it's not. It's about the President of the United States, who, when he was Vice President, was fully aware and involved in this really shady operation that his family was conducting around the world, using his influence in countries like China, which are our adversaries, which weaken now America's position, because now Joe Biden is the President. And and you know, they know him and they know what his family's been doing. So it puts America in a weak position. And at the very least, the American people need to know and they need the president to be upfront about it. They do. And how angry would you be if you're Barack Obama? Wait a second. What are you doing? You're meeting with your son doing side deals. You're supposed to be my vice president. You're using Air Force Two to go to Mexico for a business deal for your drug addict's son to lead you to? I mean, you were meeting with billionaires in Mexico. Did he check in with anyone on this? Well, there is a lot of evidence on the laptop that the that the Obama uh, people were not happy with what was going on. You remember when they were vetting Joe for um, for vice president, the biggest issue that they were concerned about, the Obama people, was uh, these sort of grace and favor jobs that... Um, MBNA, the credit card company in Delaware, was giving these way overpaid job to uh, to Hunter Biden, and uh, it looked very much like a quid pro quo. Uh, you know, th- this is a, a, an operation that Joe Biden has been running with his donors for decades, and uh, he expected Hunter Biden to basically be the breadwinner for the rest of the family. Um, And he put him into these grace and favour jobs where he was paid way more than he was worth. Uh, And, uh, you know, basically Hunter Biden would have liked to have been a writer or an artist. And instead uh, he had to do this work and he was very resentful of it. Remember what he said to his daughter, I'll never make you do for me what I have to do for pop. Yes, give him half my income. Yeah, that's right. And where I, I did, know, the thing is, this money, the, the, you know, the, the IRS is relentless on Trump. They're going to be relentless on the American people. They're going to be uh, they're going to be investigating on steroids if this infrastructure bill goes through. But yet with uh, they're not really curious where millions of international dollars uh, are right now. And, you know, are they in Joe Biden's house, mansion, houses? Where where is this? Well, there's look with with at least one of the companies. There's a lot of um, shell companies. That the Chinese company, I mean BHR, uh, a lot of shell companies in the Virgin Islands and Cayman Islands. Um, you know, I, I don't know what's going on there. I haven't got any um, visibility into that. Um, Hunter Biden had some very good legal uh, advice. Uh, people who were helping him clean up his taxes um, and who uh, distanced him from certain companies that were, you know, that he he was involved in the founding of. Um, But it just seemed that everybody associated with Hunter Biden, pretty much everybody who he did business with came to a sticky end. So you've got Devin Archer, his best friend in business, who uh, was tried and then convicted over this fraud um, of these tribal bonds, these Native American tribal bonds in a um, business called Burnham. Um, Hunter Biden, uh, you know, discusses all of this with Devin Archer and others that they were involved with getting the Chinese involved in this business uh, in the emails on the laptop. Um, But he never was uh, uh, questioned about this. Um, You know, he had his lawyers helped him. uh, He was hiding in his basement. 
well, whatever. He got away scot-free. Uh, he, all these Chinese um, partners he had, you know, one of them's disappeared, believed dead. Um, uh, at least uh, two or three of them have wound up in jail. So, but Hunter just manages to skate through um, Teflon Man. So, and now his father is president. Um, I, you know, who knows? But it, at least what you need to do, what I'm trying to do, is put the in evidence out on the on the public record so that at some point history will know that um, there was something untoward going on and whether or not it ends up in any kind of charges, who knows? They probably have been clever enough not to let that happen. Miranda, uh, course, let me ask you something. If the Chinese yeah. know something that Joe Biden was involved in one of these deals and it's year three and he's running for re-election, don't you think they're going to use that over his head? And doesn't that doesn't that blackmail hurt America's interest? There's so many ramifications that's why your book is going to be a bestseller for years. Laptop for Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech, and the Dirty Secrets that President Tried to Hide. Uh, it's out November 30th. Miranda, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Brian. Great to talk to you. You got it. And our article is July 4th. Check that out. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're asking the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida to order an immediate halt to social media companies' illegal, shameful censorship of the American people, and that's exactly what they are doing. We're demanding an end to the shadow banning, a stop to the silencing, and a stop to the blacklisting, banishing, and canceling that you know so well. Our case will prove this censorship is unlawful, it's unconstitutional, and it's completely un-American. We all know that. We all know that. So that's the president's doing a class action suit. I think it's going to be good. I did not hear the legal case and how strong it is. Allison, I know you have a, a law background, but this is a little complicated. But I would say this. It shows that Trump needs these, these vehicles to communicate. And now that he wants to come out and he's, he's stopped with the 2020 stuff, I'm sure he's never convinced he lost uh, and but I think he's like, OK, what, how do I move forward? How do I help in 2022? He's having a hard time communicating, starting his own platform without Twitter and Facebook. And what they're doing is flat out wrong. You saw what just happened. They just stopped with uh, so, someone who was critical of President Xi. They, they destroyed that person's account, not President Xi's account. You see that no Democrat ever gets their account frozen. If you brought up the Wuhan virus came from the Wuhan lab, your account was suspended. That's all that stuff has got to stop. That stuff is illegal and it's agenda driven. So maybe this will be good in the long run if they can get in front of the right judge at the right time and move it forward, right? Yes, I think what they're pushing, too, is the justices are going to probably say Congress needs to act and right, redo what's at Section 230. Right, but Section 230, if they take it away, mm -hmm. then they're going to be more cautious and say, because I don't want to get sued, I have to take this down. Right. I don't want to get sued, I don't have protection, I got to take that down. That is that my, that's legitimate Or word. maybe not remove it, but they need to rework the legislation yeah. in some way to make it applicable for today. Yeah, unlike uh, it can't be from 1996, does not work. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Keep it here. Go to BrianKillMe.com or to any of my books. I sign and send. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. 
Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.